You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, welcome to the Dear Young Married Couple podcast. Today we are talking about three dangers of being sexually closed. And we're splitting those into three categories. The dangers in the church, the dangers in your family, and then the dangers in your marriage. What could happen if you remain sexually closed? So let's jump in. So starting with the church, before we jump in and just tell you how the church treats sex and how open the church is or not, let's just ask you this question. When was the last time you heard sex talked about in the church in a positive light? Right. So, so often it's either, well, and I'm happy about it. We're talking about pornography. We're talking about addictions. Um, we're talking about how culture does make everything very sexualized. Mm-hmm. So we do a good job at doing that. But I guess the question here is, do we balance it? Right. Right. Do we give it its fair share of saying like sex is amazing? Mm-hmm. Intimacy in marriage is a very good thing. Yeah. Even like the purity talks that we get growing mm-hmm. up, um, they're good. We purity need those. Talk. Yeah, the purity talk. <laughs> we need those. Um, right. It's important. But even the very few that I can, I think I had two from the age of 12 to when we got married, I was Mm -hmm. 19. So in those seven years, I remember two purity talks from the church, you know, youth group purity talks. And I mean, it was very much just this commitment to purity. Um, Make sure that you are saving yourself for marriage and the idea of, you know, tearing different parts of your heart away. If you give those parts to people before marriage good concepts, but where was the positive aspect of sexuality? Right. Where were we celebrating sexuality? And we weren't. Right. And really it, it maybe in your church, it's a lot different, which that would be awesome. But in a lot of the churches that we have attended or, or listened to the messages, it does seem, you know, a lot of the messages do tend to run very counter or like Sex is in a negative light and almost stays in that light. Mm -hmm. So what we want to say is, or, and usher in maybe a more healthy view of sex from the standpoint of in Genesis, you know, they say, you know, what is that? The principle of first things Mm. in Genesis, um, procreation and sex was actually, uh, in God's words, it was good. Yeah. It wasn't negative. It wasn't bad. It was good. Mm-hmm. And kind of as I was thinking about this whole concept in the video before we started this, um, my mind actually went to uh, Acts, mm. where the writer of Acts actually s- recalled God's words to Peter when Peter was watching the sheet come down from heaven mm. with all of the unclean things. And God says, you know, take and eat. 
and he's saying, of course, he's talking to the gen about the Gentiles here, but when God has made something clean, when mm-hmm. God has ordained something, don't you say that it's not clean? Don't argue with God. Yeah, Amen. Right, right. And so, I think from this, I think it wouldn't be a, a huge stretch to say if God's made sex good, of course it can be twisted, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. But if God has made something so holy, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. A representation of something getting a getting us to a different place in life here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, why? What ground do we have to make it bad? Exactly, and especially in the church. You know, you think about the church is supposed to be that safe place, that place where people run to a strong tower and they mm-hmm. are saved, mm-hmm. right? And we do a really good job as a church, you know, promoting the salvation that is um, available to you if you commit everything to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we don't do as great of a job at is saying, oh, by the way, God created you as a sexual being and it is good. And um, mm-hmm. emphasizing that both for um, the kids who grew up in the church all the way into marriage and also for new converts. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of new converts, you know, come in with a life full of debauchery pertaining to sexuality. Mm-hmm. And um, so they come into the church, they want to get rid of that old lifestyle. But sometimes that's contrasted with sex in the world, no sex in church. Um, rather than sex is good, sexuality is good. And how can that be expressed in a healthy way? And what does that look like celebrated in um, the the safety of marriage. Right. Well, okay. So I had a client that, uh, did view sexuality mm-hmm. in a very negative way because they came from, like you said, that debauched lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. They had maybe great sexual experiences, but it wasn't, you know, under the, the roof of a marriage. Right. So it wasn't pure. It, it was, wasn't pure. Yeah, right. It was a life of sin. Right. So after they got married, uh, and got saved, then they're like, well, we want to be holy. Mm-hmm. And their view of holiness was turn off the lights. Ah, uh, interesting. It was, wow. Don't listen to anything. It was, so really it stripped sexual, um, really the beauty within sex, yeah. the freedom within, within mm-hmm. a marriage to experience each other. And how, how, um, how much of a, a warring within oneself, I would imagine they would have experienced, I don't know who this is, this is your mm-hmm. client, not mine, but they, I'm sure coming from that lifestyle, they saw sex as this, this bad thing yeah. that they experienced, you know, associated with sin. Mm-hmm. But then with the church, not emphasizing the beauty, the holiness, the sacredness and the celebration right. of sex. Now there's this war within because they still are sexual beings, mm-hmm. right? They're still experiencing this yearning mm-hmm. to have sex but it's like, we need to turn off some aspects of that. So turn the lights off, turn the music off. Like, yep. let's not celebrate it. Let's just get it over with since that's our desire that's innate. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. That's an interesting concept. It, it almost turns uh, desire into a negative thing as well. Yeah. So if I feel desire, then I must be less holy. Uh, so then they already feel condemned just for feeling that desire. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people, mm-hmm. maybe even without them realizing it, that yeah. they have like kind of set sex into that kind of negative category that we have to put away, mm-hmm. you know, those fleshly desires. Totally. And we'll talk about this 
part more when we discuss marriage, which is the third category. But one of the dangers for the church, um, for the young people that grow up in the church, is this whole promotion of no, 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 Mm -hmm. and then to go, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And um, we talked about that a little bit several episodes back. They they might only get one go. Yeah, they (laughs) might. Okay. Um, But it's this idea that, you know, we're going to talk about all the ways that you ought not be thinking about sex and talking about sex and having sex before marriage. But then all of a sudden, once you're married, just go. And there's no instruction on how and why and um, the exclamation of how beautiful it is, right? right? Freedom to enjoy it. Yes. that I love the idea of having an exclamation point, you know, like <laughs> it's beautiful. And that's, yes. and, um, and so the, I think the risk then, and I, and I think a lot of my peers have experienced this myself included, mm-hmm. just to be vulnerable, you know, having that purity mindset of no, no, no. And then the first few years of marriage expecting to just go, go, go that's really difficult to adjust your brain. Um, And so even though you know it's holy and that it's okay to have sex in Mm -hmm. marriage, um, your brain still associates anything having to do with desire as sin mm-hmm. um, when when it's not emphasized as a good thing. Right, and if you're always shutting it down Mm -hmm. and then feel in that shutting down process, you then start to feel shame for what you were wanting or desiring. Right. Of course, you're going to pull that. You you don't just become a new person in marriage. Mm -hmm. You have to learn how to operate within the marriage with those same desires. Totally. So having, um, I think, an accurate representation of what the Bible sees or the Bible teaches Mm -hmm. of how sex, you know, is viewed by God and and why God. I mean, I like to think of this. I I thought of this just a, a little while back. I don't know if I said this on the podcast yet, but um, like knowing how much the world would twist and make what is good evil, mm. knowing all that, you know, God knows everything. He, yeah. he knew that that sex would be twisted into something, you know, all the rapes and all the, you know, all the stuff that happens. He knew the potential for evil. Right. The yeah. potential of evil. Um and even though he knew the potential for evil with sex, mm-hmm. he still chose to give us this gift Yeah, because for some reason it was worth it. Yeah. It mattered that much. It mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's so good. The more, the more beautiful something is, the more corrupted it can be. True. Right. Yeah. So think of that. Don't squander the beautiful gift and don't take advantage of or, um, not maybe give it its rightful place yes. in your marriage. Allow yeah. it to flourish. And in the church, since that's right. the, the category we're talking and, about. And okay, so, and if we do this, right, if, if if the church doesn't give sex, you know, kind of its platform that it should have, mm-hmm. um, how does the world see it? So if yeah. I become saved, then I have to put away, or I just, you know, I enter into something that's prudish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I can't, yeah. it's not fun. And that would be the idea coming from a convert, but even for people who grow up in church, mm-hmm. this I, this whole idea of like, holiness oh, is boring. Holiness is boring. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, I remember your dad saying over and over to, to all you kids, mm-hmm. you've given me stories of your dad, how, you know, cause he, he grew up as a young kid around, around drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. but he didn't try to tell you that 
drugs and alcohol no. were just bad, right? No. He said, obviously, people feel really, really good when they're on drugs yeah. and alcohol. I actually think I was mim- I was, I was talking to my dad when I was young, and this is actually young. Yeah. And um, I, I just repeated what someone else said about you know drugs are bad. And I remember my dad stopping and taking the time to say, no, son, actually, he said, drugs are really, they, they make you feel great. Uh-huh. They're actually really, re- I mean, why would all these people do this knowing it's bad and it costs a ton of money? Right. Why would they do it if it didn't feel great? Yeah. So yeah. he kind of like, I never thought of like separating that. Like we, we kind of put things into two two places you know good and bad but he's like no it feels great but look at the results of it yeah look yeah. what it does and so the same approach can be had of sexuality mm-hmm. and actually i did a purity a purity talk was assigned <laughs> to me a while back i don't know how many years ago now it's it's been seven time. or eight years yeah. in another organization that we're um, not even a part of and um, they asked me to do a purity talk at this youth camp, and I opened it up with, "All right, ladies." It was a you know guy girl breakout, so I was with the, the ladies, and I said, "All right, ladies, guess what? Sex is amazing." <laughs> <laughs> Watch their eyes go. Yeah, what? right. And I just went into. I mean, I didn't get graphic, but I was just like letting them know how exciting this is and how beautiful it is within marriage, and and how God created this as a gift to be experienced and how it's a foretaste of what we will have in heaven as this just ecstatic experience and union with God. And I mean, I had their their ears captured for sure, right? But that is the approach we can take. And then saying, hey, and if this is corrupted, if we, if we open this too early, then it can lead to a lot of heartache and pain and sin. Yeah, I and think so, that's what Proverbs says, that yes. don't awaken these these desires too mm-hmm. early yeah, exactly. because they're hard to hold. Yeah. So um, we want to encourage you, if you are in a position of leadership or influence in your local church or in a ministry, um, we encourage you to start having these open conversations. Talk with your leadership about how you can start having more open conversations around sex and sexuality in the church um, from the pulpit with adults um, to even like, you know, church bridal showers. That's something I've been um, trying to work on lately, just, you know, because the bridal showers that we tend to have um, are, you know, with a lot of the church ladies and just having more open conversations to celebrate that this is a beautiful thing that this bride is about to unlock this box and it's awesome. And we, we take these stands and we're so vocal about this because a lot of times we do try to fix and pick up the pieces uh, from it not being done. Exactly. Talked about and, and then the fallout from that. Yeah. So just remember that every good and perfect gift comes from the father and this is a beautiful gift. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful experience to have. Um, I found a, in thinking about this, I found a, um, a quote by C.S. Lewis, which I'm a fan of, <laughs> um, that, uh, I wanted Krista to read because it's from the screw tape letters. So mm. if you don't know about the screw tape letters, I started listening to them today just because, well, this was on my mind. Well, started listening to them again. again You've read right? screw tape yes. many, many times. And, uh, it's such a brilliant, so it's a older demon giving a younger demon the keys for, you know, taking another you know person, not letting another person go to heaven. So it's really interesting. <laughs> it's a brilliant setup, right? It really is. So 
So without that preamble, go ahead and why don't you read that quote? Sure. So this older demon's talking to the younger demon um, and he says, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. Talking about God, it is his invention, not ours. Capital H. And then he says, he made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees, which he, talking about God, the enemy and he is God, right? Which he has forbidden. Mm. So the devil's tactic is... He doesn't have any pleasures of its own of his own. Mm-hmm. His his pleasure, his tactic is to take what God meant for good and warp it and make right. it for evil. Right. I think people forget when we talk about evil like it's a thing. Mhm. Yeah. Like it's a, you know, a black oozing ball of something, you yeah. know, creeping around. That's not evil. Evil is a corruption of that which is good. Right. And the more good something is, the more um, the more potential it has for being evil. Yeah. yeah. Right. Just like look at Lucifer. Mm-hmm. You know, a very beautiful and perfect yeah. angel became corrupt- corrupted. Right. Well, the more beautiful, like I said, think of how sex, how it's one of the pinnacle experiences uh, that a human being can have. Right. But also look at how corrupted it can also be. Mm-hmm. So never forget, though, that it is that beautiful thing. Yes. All right. So we've talked about some dangers that the church can experience um, when it comes to being sexually closed. Now we want to talk about the dangers that your family can experience if you remain sexually closed as a family when you have children um, and other people, not just within your marriage. We'll get to that at the end, um, but especially pertaining to parenting. Yes. So in your family, here's a question that you can kind of start off with is do you, what do you call your private parts to your kids or their <laughs> private parts? Do you call them by nicknames like woo woos and <laughs> I don't even know. Like We've all, heard so many different I've heard nicknames. I've so many different like PP or uh-huh. like we think about, and if that's true, okay, mm-hmm. we're not like trying to teach you how to parent, whatever, like, but Think about what is the message that we're sending to our children about their body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we can't even call the body parts by the names that they are given in the English language, if that's your language, um, then are we telling our children that those are bad things to say? And if they're bad things to say, then are they bad body parts to have? And if they're bad body parts to have, then are they bad body parts to experience with your spouse? And that's the message even implicitly that they're getting throughout their life if if we start their life off by calling their body parts by nicknames. Right. And especially, okay, so let's say, you know, the, the kids are going to public school. Mm-hmm. They, they then start are being taught by teachers other than you um, or maybe hearing from friends. About yeah, not even what, in public school, just in the youth group. Right. Yeah. About what sex is. And they're like, oh, I never heard about this. That's uh-huh. what it's really called. And then it, it awakens this whole other world of like, well, what else did they not tell yeah. me about? That's right. It's kind of like about back to what my dad was trying to mm-hmm. show with, with drugs. 
you know, what if I hear all my life that drugs are bad? Yeah. And then someone like, no, it feels great. And you're like, well, really? I've never heard this before. I've never heard this before. Right. And it's enticing. Right. And that's actually what's happening with our young people in the world of pornography. Um, It is, it is something that has just been so enticing, especially for Gen Z, millennials and Gen Z, but Gen Z is like, I mean, wrapped up the average age of first exposure to pornography is eight and that's average. And so if if they've grown up, not even calling their body parts by the right names, let alone never having the talk or talks, then they get exposed to pornography through curiosity or by accident. Those are the the top two ways that kids get exposed to pornography. And so if they get exposed by out of curiosity or by accident and they realize that their body reacts in a good way in a natural or way, good. right. It feels good to them. Then they're, then they're going to think, Oh, my parents have been keeping this from me. And then there's shame involved because it's something that obviously should be hidden. Mm-hmm. Right. And so do you think they're going to be open with you about it? If you haven't created that open culture, around right. It? Or if exactly, if there's no open culture, mm-hmm. then let's say that, you know, before, body parts or function body functioning or whatever Mm -hmm. else has been very we don't talk about that they're not going to feel comfortable coming when something does come up Mm -hmm. that really does need to be talked about and there's shame then and shame man blocks you off isolates you um and all the all the bad things you guys this issue uh, not just of pornography but of shame around sexuality this issue is probably the number one issue that we see in our counseling office Um, whether they come because of that, they're coming into counseling because of that, or they're coming for other reasons. And then as we dig to the root, we realize that it's shame around sexuality and we can mitigate this as parents. If we're working with our children from a young age to have open conversations around sexuality, to celebrate sexuality, Mm -hmm. to be the go-to for our children. One of our goals, and we, we pray that we are able to accomplish this One of our goals is that when our kids grow up, they will never remember the talk because there won't just be singular the talk. It will just be an open conversation that we have. We already are having. Our kids are one in three, but we're having these these conversations, plural, already about their body parts, about the differences between boys and girls. And it's it's a beautiful thing. uh, Yeah. And I think that's how it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the ancient Jewish culture, they they actually openly celebrated sex. Yes, um, you can you can go into the literature and see how that happened. Yeah, but it was a very much, you know, the kids would be asking questions, and I think that's very healthy because the one place they need to be able to ask questions is to you. You're the trusted resource. Mm-hmm. You're the one that has truth. Yeah. So let them see how wonderful it is. Yeah. Let them ask those good questions and, and then respond and, and be willing to go there with them without them feeling how uncomfortable you are. Right. And I think the uncomfort, honestly, is parents wondering how much should I tell? That's true. That's true. I think that's a common question we hear. And we by no means are the experts on how much you should tell at which age group because we only have, you know, toddlers. Um, Feeling that one out. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that, um, and I think was really healthy in my family growing up, one standard that my parents always set is A, they will never lie to us. And B, they will always answer our questions 
and C, they will always ask us if we have more questions. So it was kind of a good template. Like anytime we had these conversations throughout our childhood, um, we knew we were never going to be lied to. Um, They might not share everything, but they would share anything we asked, anything we asked about they would share. And then, um, and then they would say, do you have any more questions? And that's especially important for those who weren't as curious or, um, wouldn't ask straight up. Like, uh, my, my mom would always tell me like with me, she, she didn't really have to ask me that third question because I was like full of questions. But, um, with my sister, um, one of my sisters, she really didn't have a ton of questions. And so my mom had to like prompt her to ask questions. So she'd be like, well, do you have any more questions? Have you ever thought about this? Do you have questions about that? And so that was kind of a good template. Mm. So you might, you might write that down and use that as your template. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Um, another book that we can recommend would be, uh, by Luke Gilkerson, I think. Yes. Um, the conversation or the talk. It's I called it's the called. talk. Yeah. yeah. But it's seven, I think the subtitle is Seven Conversations uh, yeah. to Have with Your Children About Sex and Sexuality, but something along those lines. At least start this conversation with your spouse because mm-hmm. these questions are coming and sometimes you can preempt them. You yeah. know that. I think yeah. a lot of parents avoid it, but mm-hmm. man, I would sure rather be the one answering their questions and being a, be a safe place right. than my kids feeling their friends. Totally. Yep. Or teacher yep. is the safer place here. Exactly. So. Yeah. And so we encourage you, um, if you, it's not too late to get started either. I mean, if you haven't started having these conversations and opening this, having an open culture around sexuality in your family, it is not too late. Start talking. You can just ask them what questions they have. And um, as soon as they feel comfortable, they, they will start talking. Yeah. And really, and this kind of segues us into the next section about your marriage, having open dialogue in your marriage about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more you and your spouse are open about sex, then it's going to be a lot easier That's to talk right. about it to your kids. Totally. And this is probably where it needs to start. Yes. You don't just, you know, like we need to talk more about sex in the church. Like that's a natural <laughs> outgrowth of the openness and, and correct yeah. orientation inside of your marriage, which flows into, into the, the family, home. Yep. which yep. then flows that's out. Good. So, which uh, by the way, just as mm-hmm. a, a side note regarding that, before we move right into marriage, when you are openly affectionate in front of your children, not like being super sexual, we're not, we're not asking (laughs) you to do that, but, but being openly affectionate, hugging, kissing, even kissing for several seconds. We recommend at least six seconds. (laughs) And Adelaide, when she sees us do that, she's like, mommy, (laughs) it's hilarious. She goes, mommy, are you guys kissing? (laughs) And then Forrest will run up and be like, I want to hug. I want and wants to, you know, join the party. Split us up, right? It's so cute. But but to, I was going to say this. When you are openly affectionate in front of your children, you actually bring them a sense of security. Um, the research shows that they are cognitively more advanced and emotionally more stable when they grew up in a home that was openly mm. affectionate, when their marriage was, um, when the their parents' marriage was openly affectionate, when wow. they kissed in front of them, hugged in front of them, cuddled, put their arms around each other and, um, talked, you know, in ways that let them know that they were fond of each other and found each other attractive that produced, um, much more intelligent children. So let me tell you, our kids are super intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
least we think so. Oh, <laughs> says every parent ever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Haven't met any parents yet. They're like, nah. <laughs> so, so in your marriage, yeah. what do we have to say here? Yeah. So in your marriage, what would be the danger of not being sexually open um, with each other? So a lot of what we've said so far about the church and parenting applies to your marriage as well. So you can just take that copy and paste. Um, but what are some more specific dangers for your marriage? Hmm. I would say right, right on the, right at the outset here that, um, you're not going to get your needs met True. if you can't have a good conversation or at yeah. least you'll probably feel like you're always, lacking. Yeah. You'll feel, and this goes for both parties, regardless of, um, high drive or low drive, mm -hmm. both parties will feel like they're giving into the other party when there's no communication about it. Mm -hmm. Um, cause there, I don't know what we're saying is no open communication about it because you're always communicating in some way or another. Right. Right. But if we're not openly communicative or verbally, direct. yeah, direct being, being specific, um, then there's, there's question when there's question, uncertainty, ambiguity, when there's ambiguity, then, then there's, um, anxiety, right? The anxiety is bred off the unknown. Yeah. And we all, we all know how anxiety, um, does in the bedroom. Yeah. Right. And so if you're anxious, things are not going to go well for you when you're having sex. Um, and then obviously you're not going to want to have sex very often if it doesn't go well for you. Right. And so that's, um, that can lead to a lot of disconnection yep. in your marriage. It can lead to, um, uncommunicated and therefore unmet expectations. Right. You've heard us say that a lot of times, if you've been following us for a while is that frustration is the result of uncommunicated and or unmet expectations. Yeah. And so that's going to produce a lot of frustration. And when you have sexual tension, that bleeds into all other areas of your marriage. Yeah. You're going to feel frustrated about the chores. You're going to feel frustrated about parenting, frustrated about the drive, you know, and be more uh, critical of each other and everything that you're doing when there's sexual tension. So that's a pretty big risk you take to not be sexually open with your spouse. Yeah, it is. But a lot of people do it. They do <laughs> a lot. And that's, I mean, again one of the biggest things we see in our, in our work with couples right. and individuals. I think that's probably because their parents or their families weren't, or maybe their culture wasn't open mm -hmm. regarding sex. Right. So the only way you're going to turn this around is actually open the conversation. Yeah. Um, this is why shameless plug, but we see it helping <laughs> a lot of people yeah. um, is expectations. Yes. Uh, so we created a card deck with 52 questions that, Asks everything. And one of the things I see breaking down in a lot of marriages is not exactly only the intercourse. Right. Because, I mean, that's great, right? Normally when people are there, sometimes they can both enjoy it a lot. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times getting there, yeah. the woman needs has different needs than mm -hmm. the man in, in this aspect. And th this is where the open communication and dialogue around sex needs right. to happen in order just just to get to sex. Absolutely. So yeah. I guess the broader cat category suffers a lot. Like right. the broader ca category of like intimacy right. and, and expectations there mm -hmm. than 
then in the bedroom. And that can lead to identity issues too, especially for a woman. If she feels like she's being used and she feels like she's an object of his sexual desire, but not her as a person, it's just her body. Um, we see so much of that. And so then that contributes to low self-esteem and uh, low confidence, which makes her even less interested in the bedroom. Right. right? And so um, so many risks when we're talking about, you know, the, this, the title of this, the dangers of being sexually closed. There's so many dangers of being sexually closed in your marriage. And like Adam was saying, we, without shame, um, plug this expectations card deck that we created because this is exactly the reason why we produced it. Right. It'll ask, or the questions in the card deck will ask in a, in a good way, like maybe not in the moment. So some yeah. people like try to bring up these hard conversations in the moment or after something went wrong or they mm -hmm. got rejected and then people are defensive and this gets you away from the problem. Yeah. Maybe when you're on a date or something, you could open them up or long drive. We tend to use them on long drives. Yes. And we hear that from a lot of couples. Yeah. They'll use them in the car. Like if they have a commute together or a mm -hmm. long drive. Um, but even just like at night, I have a lot of couples who will put it in their um, nightstand and then they'll just draw one card and people tell us all the time that they have long conversations on one card yeah so it's not like you need to go through the whole deck in one night right and i think you know you'll have those long conversations and then you know a year later year and a half later or even less you could break them out again and go through them oh yeah because you change your situation changes you have a kid it changes totally like so i would my goodness uh, i think they're $17 something yep. on Amazon. Uh, to find sex expectations, though, the easiest way is probably <laughs> to just Google it. Like, dear young married couple, card deck, sex expectations, mm -hmm. and it'll pop up because Amazon blocked it. So Yeah, Amazon blocked it in their main search bar because it's it has the word sex in it. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, we won't go okay. there with our arguments. But, um, yeah, you can find it by checking the link here in the show notes. Um, and then you can go to our website, um, www.dearyoungmarriedcouple.com and you can find the card decks there. So lots of ways to find the card decks. Um, but we recommend that you guys get a hold of, even if it's not expectations, get a hold of a list. We have plenty on our website that are free of questions that you can ask each other to become more sexually open. And it will lead to more connection and intimacy. Um, there, it also might lead to some hurt and some pain. And if that's the case, please feel free to reach out. We would love to work with you and, um, we can work toward healing some of that hurt and pain. We work with a lot of couples. You know, it's funny. It always astounds me that people will spend, you know, 40, $50,000 on a new boat or a car to mm -hmm. feel happiness. Yeah. When, when they get in that car, they're sad because things aren't happening in their relationship. True. You yeah. know? Or even the 10, 20, 30,000 people spend on a wedding <laughs> and right. don't want to put any money into the premarital counseling or to plan effort, their Right. There's marriage. so many books. There's yeah. so many tools. Uh, there are people like us and probably lots of people, Christian, good people in your town mm -hmm. um, that do counseling. Reach yeah. out. Um, and seriously you could have the marriage that you want if there are things that are broken yeah so we're huge advocates of that we want couples to become intimately connected get adventurous and find purpose and that bleeds into so many different realms and so this yep. is just one of them 
It's, it's our heartbeat. So we love you guys. We're rooting for you. We're with you in this. And we look forward to hearing any feedback that you have or questions that you have on this topic. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.